0: Welcome to What She Said on 105.9 The Region. I'm your host, Candace Sampson. Thanksgiving is behind us for another year, and so let me be one of the first to put the Christmas squeeze on you and share that it's now less than 70 days away. I share because I care. And if you're a last-minute shopper, you may want to reconsider that habit this year with supply chain issues already creating shortages of goods in stores. If there was ever a year to plan ahead, this would be it, my friends. Pulling us back to the moment, though, it's still my birthday month, and so I'm continuing with more giveaways over on What She Said Talk's Instagram page. So be sure to pop on over for a chance to win a skincare package from Graydon Skincare. But first, you absolutely don't want to miss today's show. My first guest has a massive social media following around the globe and is the author of two best-selling books, The Vagina Bible and The Menopause Manifesto. Dr. Jen Gunter joins me to discuss why feminism needs to be a part of any discussion we have around menopause, and she shares her thoughts on hormone replacement therapy. RBC's She's the Boss this week is talking with Monique Chan from Bruised. Bruised wants to create change within our community, promote low-waste living, and inspire healthy discussions about how we as individuals can mitigate food waste in our daily lives. All while you enjoy their delicious 100% plant-based products that keep great food out of landfills. And Brody zooms in this week with a very quick wrap-up of can't-miss-movies-and-shows, plus a quick interview with Rebecca Ferguson and Danny Villeneuve from the much-anticipated remake of Dune. Staying healthy is top of mind for all of us right now, so I'm thrilled that New Roots Herbal is joining us for a series of sponsored segments on common health issues women face. Today we're taking a closer look at the benefits probiotics can have in your life, and it goes far beyond just taking them after a round of antibiotics. Dr. Darcy Pollock joins me to share what probiotics are, the many benefits to our microbiome, and what you should look for before you purchase. When Dr. Christina Dervatus took a step back from her duties in the delivery room, she didn't realize that an album was about to be born. With all of the raw emotion that accompanies a midlife in transition, Christina’s debut album tells a story of a self-discovery that is better late than never. She joins me to discuss why she chased a dream while keeping her day job. Finally, we all have a story to share but many of us don’t know where to start. Tanya Goff is the founder of StoryBuilder, a creative writing platform for new and aspiring writers that will help you take your story out of your head and onto the page. It's another full week at what she said with interviews that empower, educate, and entertain. So let's jump in right now on 105.9 The Regents. Hot flashes, sleepless nights, brain fog, and decreased sex drive are just some of the indignities women face as they approach menopause. But perhaps the worst offense is the lack of education we've had on a period that will encompass a full one-third of our lives. That is, until now. Dr. Jen Gunter has released the Menopause Manifesto, a follow-up to her highly successful The Vagina Bible. Dr. Gunter sat down with me for a 30-minute interview recently to discuss menopause, medical misogyny, and more. Today, I'm sharing the first 10 minutes of that interview here. You can catch the rest on What She Said with Candace Sampson on your favorite podcast provider. Welcome to What She Said, Dr. Gunter. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I have never felt more pressure to deliver for my audience than I do right now. So I'm not even going to take you out for dinner. I'm going to jump right in. (laughs) All
1: right, let's get to it.
0: Why is feminism such an integral part of the conversation around menopause?
1: Feminism is an important part of the conversation around menopause because, you know, Menopause has been weaponized against women since the beginning of time. I mean, it's sort of been uh, viewed as sort of an aging out of relevance, which is of course ridiculous because that's a, just a patriarchal notion. But I think this idea that a woman's worth ends with her reproductive capability is, you know, is incredibly patriarchal. And you know, this uh, feminist menopause it doesn't accept, you know, that shoddy hypothesis. Uh, because one, it's incorrect, but two, it's incredibly damaging.
0: One of the things I loved in the menopause manifesto was that you pointed out these differences so clearly. We don't talk about men in the same way as they age, uh, and they experience things like erectile dysfunction, and and you know, uh, you mentioned penis shrinkage, which made, made me laugh. Nobody's
1: talking about that, right? Exactly. I mean, imagine if we spoke about men's bodies in the same way we spoke about women's bodies, right? So, you know, why, why do we even have to use the word menopause? I mean, it's ridiculous to tie, you know, a whole description of, you know, almost half my life to my menstrual period. We don't tie a description of men's lives to their reproductive cycles, you know, so or their, you know, their reproduction. Yeah. I mean, we should say that men are in a when they're in erectile dysfunction. You know, I think it's, it's just important whenever you hear something, you just think to yourself, would we speak about a man's body that way?
0: You mentioned something just in here, you said, you know, more than half of our life or, you know, uh, and you talk about this in the book in sort of this pre menopause, menopause, post menopause. And I think about I did not know this about menopause. And I feel like I was strangely unprepared for this time in my life, considering how much time it sucks up. So when should we be teaching this with, you know, when we're teaching about puberty, or should it be later on in the education cycle? The, the the reality is women just don't know enough about it.
1: Well, I think that, you know, your experience is very common. you sort of entering into the menopause transition and knowing nothing about it. I mean, imagine if you entered into pregnancy, knowing as much about pregnancy as you do about menopause right it, like you do like why is this thing growing in my belly what is going on here so i think we should be teaching about menopause when we teach about puberty we should be normalizing it because the problem is is if you don't talk about it early then the implication is is that it's bad or it's it's depressing or it's reflecting something that you know that makes you of lesser value and i think it's important that we teach reproductive biology so people don't view this as aging out but rather than natural process, you know, in the same way puberty is a natural process.
0: It's funny, I think back on it, my my education and it was very much, you know, here you're going to menstruate and this is what this is going to be like. And then you're going to have a baby and this is what this looks like. And then that's it. That was it. There was nothing more after that. Right. So and that is a result of the patriarchy patriarchy really and what we're teaching in the schools is that there's sort of nothing
1: beyond your childbearing years. Well, I think it's not even that. I think it's even worse. I think it's basically, we don't teach reproductive biology. We teach pregnancy avoidance and pregnancy value. So we say you have to not get pregnant because you have to be a good girl. I mean, that's the implication, right? Is that, um, is that if you have sex before marriage, you're a bad girl. And if, and, but then once you are, decide to, to be married and have sex, then, you know, your, your job is a breeder. And that's it. So I think we, you know, we teach basically, um, you know, a restrictive breeding philosophy. We don't teach reproductive biology. And I think it's really important that we take all those sort of social, those harmful social constructs, constructs out of it and just teach people how things work. I mean, we should be approaching it the same way we teach driver's ed.
0: I imagine that when you were in medical school and and, and learning uh, all of these things, you weren't exactly looking at it through the lens you are now. So, was there a flashpoint or a moment where you went, "Whoa, wait a minute, we're doing this wrong. We have too much medical misogyny, too much, uh, you know, medical mansplaining uh, going on." Was there a moment where you started to see the connections?
1: Well, I, you know, it's always interesting because when you're a doctor you talk about this all the time. So you're sort of unaware that people like don't really know about menopause because I talk, you and talk about menopause with my patients every day. Right. So, um, but I, I hadn't appreciated that it had the same, I would say weight or even a greater weight than, you know, I was aware of all of the vaginal shame and vulvar shame, uh, but I wasn't aware that menopause really carried that same shame until actually I went on tour for the vagina Bible. And, you know, this was back in the day when you could actually have people come to, you know, book talks and things, creating a space to talk about the and vagina created a space for people to talk about menopause. You know, people realized it was a safe space and the questions about menopause just came fast and furious. And, you know, at that point I was, a, you know, a year or so or two years, you know, well into my menopause. And I was like, whoa, I, I was a bit of a moment for me to realize that actually, you know, as much, you know, that- that the vulva and the vagina were worthy of shame, and the menopause was so awful that it wasn't even worthy of that. It was just complete dismissal. And so I just thought, wow, you know, I guess that's the next book.
0: So when you started experiencing perimenopause symptoms, uh, did you have moments that surprised you? Considering you've literally written the book now on menopause, like
1: have you had those moments? The only thing that really took me aback uh, was how a hot flush actually feels. That that your head like it's all in your head like it's in your head i don't mean like it's in your head you're making it up like like the physiologic feeling is so much upper body and it really is like a wave and your it feels like like there's a heat you know blast coming out of the top of your head so i was i was unprepared for what that actually felt like
0: i i'm i'm nodding my head in agreement here um I was having 20 to 30 hot flashes a day. And in reading your book, you literally mentioned 20 to 30, which made me laugh because that makes me a super flusher, flasher.
1: Yeah, (laughs) super flusher. Yeah, exactly.
0: And I was struggling with, do I take hormones? Because I was scared to take them Mm -hmm. because there is so much um, confusion in and around that. And for me, it just became this point of, I need quality of life. I was getting really miserable. So I started mm-hmm. taking estrogen, the hot flashes, or flushes or hot bloom, as you called it, uh, mm-hmm. has, has um, get, become less. But so why, you know, for women who are thinking about hormone replacement therapy, what is sort of the science on that right now? Is, is it generally
1: safe? Well, I mean, it's always hard to sort of sum up a therapy into a, you know, a few lines, but yeah, I would say, Overall, it's a, you know, it's, it's a very safe therapy. The risks are in a very rare and rare range. Um, And, you know, people look at risk differently. And I always tell people, you know, you have to look at everything has risk. If you take Tylenol, you risk There's a small risk of liver injury. If you drive a car, there is a risk that you are going to get into an accident, no matter how careful you are. And so, you know, when you, every time you go to the grocery store, do you assess that risk? You just do it because you have to go to the grocery store. You have to get food, right? It's important just to explain to people that the risks are there, but they're very, very low. And overall, in, if people are in the right category, because obviously there's people who hormones are not recommended for. So for example, if you're 65, we wouldn't recommend starting it because over the age of 60, there is an increased risk of dementia and heart disease associated with starting hormones. But if you're under the age of 60 or less than 10 years from your final period, and you're not at incredibly high risk of breast cancer, you know, for for other reasons uh, and uh, don't have an incredibly high risk for cardiovascular disease, then hormone replacement therapy or what we like to call now menopausal hormone therapy is really a very safe therapy. But like every therapy, if you don't need it, you shouldn't be on it. So if you're not having any symptoms if you're doing just fine then you don't need it you've
0: been listening to an interview with dr jen gunter on what she said for the full half hour interview be sure to subscribe to what she said with candace sampson on your favorite podcast provider right now we'll be back with more great interviews after this
2: More with Candace Sampson and What She Said coming up on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 105.9 The Region.
0: According to the National Zero Waste Council's research on household food waste in Canada, almost 2.2 million tons of edible food is wasted each year, costing Canadians in excess of $17 billion. The impacts on the environment and our wallets are unsustainable. RBC's She's the Boss this week is taking a look at Bruised, a Toronto-based women-run startup on a mission to revolutionize our food systems. Monique Chan, founder of Bruised, wants to create change within our community – promote low-waste living, and inspire healthy discussions about how we as individuals can mitigate food waste in our daily lives, all while you enjoy 100% plant-based products. She joins me now to discuss. Welcome to the show, Monique.
3: Hi, Candice. Thanks for having me.
0: So I'm gonna, I mean, I asked this of everybody, what was sort of the moment that inspired you to do this? And I'm going to guess it was food waste.
3: Yeah, for sure. I, I guess the moment that I realized um, I had the power to make a difference was when I was actually working directly in restaurants in, in the city and saw firsthand how much food was being thrown out. And also being uh, having a background studying food waste in university, I kind of made the connection that something needed to, to be done. And um, also having a passion for plant-based cooking, I thought that that was kind of like the, the birth of brews and how everything came together.
0: And I think as we're seeing, you know, the cost of meat rising and the cost of groceries, people are really starting to value foods, uh, you know, stretching their dollars as far as they can go, seeing food, food waste be eliminated. So tell me about some of the products that you make.
3: Yeah, so our main product is called Pulp Crunch, and it's a high fiber granola topper um, that is made with the base of organic juice pulp that we rescue from a local juice bar, and it's sweetened naturally with ripe bananas that we get from retail stores because there's often um, ripe bananas are one of the highest leftover fruits um, in grocery stores, so we rescue those uh, to act as a natural sweetener. We also incorporate imperfect apples, so apples that are a little too big, too small, or wonky in size uh, from a local farm. And because they are imperfect, they don't usually don't end up meeting market standards. So we rescue those to add a little um, sweetness as well. And it's all dehydrated with nuts, oats, coconut seeds. Uh, So it makes a really great high fiber, gluten-free and plant-based snack on the go or to top on your yogurt or for your morning um, rituals. And then we also just recently launched a salted chocolate caramel cookie, which is almost like a mix of a brownie and your favorite morning cookie. And it's what we highlight about it is that it uses whole foods. Um, so there's no refined sugars. Um, it also features imperfect pears that we rescue from a local fruit farmer um, to act as a natural caramel. And we also rescue aquafaba, which is chickpea water um, from a local vegan meal kit delivery service. So that acts as a natural egg replacement, keeps it all plant-based and is a really yummy decadent snack on the go. I
0: imagine the sustainability is sort of baked into everything you do from (laughs) not just the the product you're providing, but you know, in shipping and in making the products. Is that right?
3: Yeah. uh, So pretty much our motto is, embracing imperfect. And I think we quickly learned that it's not about striving for perfection and even just running a business, but just trying, doing the best we can with what resources we have. So yeah, right now we do use glass jars to store our, our granola. We do offer a bulk option and we sell our cookies at local sh- um, at a local cafe without packaging. So um, we try our best to minimize packaging as well as um, food waste, even in our production Um I try to mitigate as much food waste as possible, even with um, when I'm processing the, the produce. Uh, so yeah, I, I'm also open to finding new solutions to minimize the amount of food loss that we have because it is inevitable to have some food loss. Um, so I'm, I'm really hopeful to maybe make some connections with local farmers and be able to reallocate that food loss that we have Um, to go back into the soil and um, uh, create a closed loop system by us supporting local farmers. So um, I'm hopeful to create a system that is more circular. But right now, yeah, we're doing the best we can and um, trying to keep things as sustainable as possible.
0: So I think everybody's screaming about the supply chain right now. And I'm going to guess that may not be as much of an issue for you because you really are pulling in locally, right?
3: I think at first we had the, the main issue of oh no, are we going to have consistent supply of things? But um, in reality, there really is an endless amount of food waste and we're very small drop in the large bucket here. We decided to also just pair with local um, farms and retails because it, it allows us to build those relationships as well and cuts emissions by us being all in um, a local area. You know, we do pickups from farmers markets, Um, so yeah, the, by having that, that better communication and relationships with our suppliers, we're able to have a consistent, uh, supply to make our products. Where are we going to find those products? Yeah, so right now you can find our products at brews.com. So B-R-U-I-Z-E-D.com. We can ship it directly to you. We also uh, sell through Sorry I've Got Plants, which is the local meal kit delivery service we get the aquafaba from. So you can also order through their site or pick up from their store. Uh, We're at Evergreen Brickworks Market every other Saturday. You can find us there. And we also sell through Miss Pippa's At College and Dufferin, which have both our cookies and pulp crunch. So we're slowly trying to expand, but that's where we're at right now.
0: All right. Well, I'm sure what she said listeners are going to help you out. Thank you to Monique Chan for joining me today. And thank you to our sponsor, RBC. RBC is here to support you through digital first solutions, advice, and services that go beyond banking to help realize your true potential because owning a small business takes something special. That's why RBC is behind you every step of the way visit rbc.com slash business Joining me now for Saturday Night at the Movies is Anne Brody, and we are going to get into it super fast because Anne has two movies we must see, one show you definitely want to avoid, and an interview with Rebecca Ferguson and Denny Villeneuve from the new movie, Dune. All right, Anne, get into it. What what can we not miss? Number one, HBO documentary, Four Hours at the Capitol. Uh, an update
4: on everything that happened on January 6th. There've been 668 charges since the insurrection and tons of new information. Then we have what to my mind is gonna figure very well at the Oscars is mass with Ann Dowd, Martha Plimpton, Jason Isaacs, and Reed Bernie, you will not believe this, four parents uh, talking about a school shooting in a protected environment. Then we have um, introducing Selma Blair, she has MS most incredible, heart-rending, and powerful, and hopeful documentary on her progress. I want to talk about the one to skip, which is Sex, Love, and Goop on Netflix with Gwyneth Paltrow, which is nothing but a marketing ploy to sell her sex toys. Yeah, we we got to
0: pause on that one for a second, because I got to tell you, I watched the trailer and my eyes rolled so far out of my head. You got it, girl. That's (laughs) it. That's it. (laughs) So that's a don't. Just don't waste your time on that one. Right. All right. Tell us a little bit about Dune before we play the interview. Everyone's waiting for Dune, the second film of
4: the unfilmable Frank Herbert novel. I get to talk to uh, a star,
0: the director, and let's do it. All right. Here we go. Here's Anne's interview with Rebecca Ferguson and Danny Villeneuve from Dune. Uh, Denise.
4: You as a filmmaker have a, a very unique visual uh, sense and you know, all of us go through life, we're affected by art or by film, by what we see, we absorb it. Can you think of some examples of art or film that have helped shape your visual sense?
5: When I was a kid, I had Aunt aunt who that uh, uh, came back home one, one, one evening and said, a friend of mine was about to throw out uh, those three books uh, uh, three books. They, they was about to put it in the trash, but I, I, uh, I kept them with me and I, I uh, look inside those box, it's for you. And in the, in the box, the box were filled with uh, uh, graphic novel novels from a uh, uh, European graphic novels uh, uh, called Metal Berlin, you know. And pilot, uh, pilot, and the Metaliona. It was filled with insane uh, uh, imagination coming from great artists like Druyier, Bilal, Moebius, Mesia, Christine. All these artists that, uh, uh, and uh, uh, so so many of them that, uh, had, uh, I was maybe eight or nine years old. It was a total aesthetic shock for me to go through those graphic novels and discover the, the visions of those artists that still today are fueling me. And and, uh, and, uh, uh, they are at the very core of my uh, uh, sci-fi education. And I think they are the one who influence most of everybody uh, in uh, today's uh, world and mostly in in cinema. These guys were the visual pioneers of modern sci-fi. And I hold them everything. And you know what, when I was in Paris, I had the chance to finally meet two of those masters that went, came to the Paris premiere. And I was moved to tears to meet, to meet jean pierre Dionnet and Philippe Durier, who are two of my childhood heroes. You know, these guys are masters.
4: You're working on Dune part two and also doing a television adaptation. So you're handing the foreseeable future over to this massive project. Will you ever return to making small, intimate films? That I I love them so much.
5: Thank you, Thank you Madam. The the, the the thing is, uh, I um, all my movies in a way in my mind are equal. It's so just that some of them require more physical energy, and and I think that I have this energy now to to uh, tackle bigger bigger challenges. Uh, but uh, definitely uh, one day I. Uh, uh, I might go back to something a, a bit more intimate. Right now, it's just that I have the resources uh, and to bring some of my dreams that uh, are a bit uh, ambitious and I have the, the energy. So that's why I'm not. Uh, so in the upcoming year, let my, let's say that my two next, I, I'm just saying this, I'm a bit tired. <laughs> okay. my, my my two next projects are, are not very small. Yeah, But uh, it, it, maybe in the future, I would go back in. Yeah
2: stick around more what she said with candace samson coming up on 1059 the region welcome back to what she said with candace samson on 1059 the region
0: Ruth Herbal has partnered with What She Said to open up discussions over the next few months around common health concerns for women. In today's interview, we're taking a closer look at the power of probiotics. Most of us know by now that probiotics should quickly follow any antibiotic treatment, but probiotics benefits extend far beyond that and are vital in keeping our microbiome healthy. What exactly does your microbiome control? For that answer and more on the benefits of probiotics in our life, I'm joined now by Dr. Darcy Pollock, a naturopathic doctor who has a special interest in diet and lifestyle counseling, botanicals, acupuncture, and nutritional supplementation. Welcome to What She Said, Darcy. Hi there, thanks for having me. All right, let's get into it. What's the microbiome? So the microbiome
6: is basically our gut bacteria and our gut bacteria house about 70 to 80% of our immune system. So when we think of the gut microbiome, we're just thinking of all of our immunity. And it's pretty awesome because what can happen is our gut microbes can basically um, produce substances that inhibit pathogen production. So that's the biggest part of our immune system. And that's why probiotics help so much with colds and flus. And with the gut microbiome, we also think of the digestive tract as our second brain because the most serotonin is produced there in the body. So we know that serotonin is a happy neurotransmitter and that can really help with moods. And then on top of that, the microbiome also helps with the regulation of estrogen in our body, as well as cardio metabolic conditions, um, of course, digestion, so many different functions.
0: So it's not just, you know, oh, like, you know, antibiotics rip out these these uh, good bacteria and we put them back in. Um, it's crucial all of the time to have this healthy gut flora for a variety of reasons. Um, So it's brain health. um, How about heart health?
6: New studies are looking at the effects on our cardiovascular system, which is incredible. We're seeing lowering of cholesterol with probiotics, lowering of blood pressure with probiotics. We're also even seeing weight loss with probiotics, especially mid abdominal weight. So it's really interesting. Um, Some thyroid conditions are being studied for benefit with probiotics as well.
0: And for women specifically, can we talk about the importance of probiotics for women?
6: Yeah, so like I mentioned, um, the gut bacteria will help regulate the amount of estrogen that's around in the body. So what can happen is, if the gut is dysbiotic, meaning there's too much good versus bad bacteria, or there's not a diversity in the gut bacteria, we can end up having estrogen either floating around in too high amounts in the system or not being detoxed properly out of the digestive tract. So when I think of estrogen dominant symptoms and symptoms that may benefit from probiotic supplementation, I'm thinking of irregular cycles or heavy cycles, acne, uh, bloating, PMS, weight gain, those kinds of things.
0: So this is huge. I mean, t- on top of taking, you know, vitamin D daily and, you know, our vitamin C, pro- probiotics should really be a daily thing. That's right. Yes. It's one of my most
6: commonly prescribed supplements in my practice. And, you know, we always want to make sure we're getting the right dosing of probiotics. Usually I recommend about 10 to 20 billion daily, and I will sometimes go up higher in the 50 billion if needed. And that would be more after antibiotic use, but sometimes for some other conditions as well.
0: And are there natural ways to get uh, more probiotics into our system?
6: Yes, absolutely. So really we when I think about getting just probiotics in our system, I think of just a really healthy diet. So whole foods, meaning that we're not eating too many processed things. We're cooking most of our food from scratch in our kitchens. And really specifically, I like to add in chia seeds or hemp hearts or any of those whole grains like oats, brown rice. And then on top of that, fermented foods, meaning foods that have live bacteria coming in. So those would be like kombucha, yogurt, sauerkraut, miso, tempeh. And the really important thing about these foods is they are not pasteurized. As soon as we pasteurize them, we're killing those live bacteria.
0: Okay, that's good to know. And also I I just wanna say, Uh, As soon as you mentioned really healthy diet, I know you excluded a whole bunch of the population, including myself. Uh, (laughs) So let's talk about the importance of supplementation. Then what should we be looking for in that supplement?
6: So like I mentioned, um, the dosing is key. So 10 to 20 billion, sometimes 50 billion. And you want to have a probiotic that is multi-string. So that means there's at least 7 to 10 different strains of probiotics within that one supplement. Um, we also want to look for a probiotic that is in the fridge. So if the probiotic is not in the fridge, what can happen is that the bifidobacteria break down. They're not very shelf stable. So you will see some probiotics that are on the shelf. But what happens is they just put a ton more colony forming units or CFUs in there. And then by the time it gets to you, there's probably very little or none. So the most important thing is definitely look for probiotics in the fridge.
0: And should they, is, you know, how, how, how do we get them? Are they in a pill form? Are they liquid?
6: Yes. So probiotics, typically you want to have them in a capsule and you want that capsule to be enteric coated. So coating basically means that that capsule is able to withstand stomach acid. We know that about basically food, it takes about 30 to 60 minutes for food to transition from the stomach into the small intestine. So we need a probiotic capsule that can withstand that pH of one to three, which is in the stomach. And we want that probiotic to be released in the digestive tract which is a pH of about five. So if we don't have enteric coating, it's just all going to be destroyed in the stomach and you're not going to get that live bacteria to the digestive tract where it's going to have the response you want.
0: So what is enteric coating? What is it made of? Like, is it, you know, that it dissolves into our system? I'm going to assume it's safe, but what is it made of?
6: Yeah, so some enteric coatings are made of plastic. So you definitely want to steer clear of those ones. The best ones are usually made of plant fibers, and those are really the cleanest of them. You don't really want to be ingesting plastic, obviously.
0: I'm surprised actually to hear that we even allow that. I'm I'm shocked. Yeah, it's
6: disappointing. Sometimes supplements aren't regulated
0: as well as
6: they could be.
0: Okay, so let's look at that. Let's talk about that then. So we're, we we walk into a store, and here's what we're looking for. We're looking for probiotics in the fridge, right? 10 to 20 billion of bacteria. Is that what I'm saying that I'm right? Yeah. 10 to 20 billion
6: bacterial. That'll be the dose of it.
0: Okay. And we want them to be enteric coated, but with a natural enteric coating, not a plastic coating. That's right.
6: And even better, I'd say a bonus for my requirement of probiotics is to have them third party tested or lab tested properly. And that means that basically they're tested in a way that what's in that capsule is what is in the capsule, not that it's going to be lost once it's taken, right? So that kind of extra testing just is next level. And then you know what you're putting in your body is going to actually have the effect you're wanting to see.
0: Okay. This was incredibly informative. Um, I, I mean, I have probiotics in my fridge and I have to tell you, I kind of, haven't really been very diligent with them, but now that we're heading into winter and I, I think I'm going to definitely be adding this with my D uh, daily. Uh, if people want to connect with you, Darcy, where can they find you? Uh,
6: my main clinic is in Kimberley,
0: British Columbia. I'm called
6: Roots to Health Naturopathic Clinic. So you can just give us a Google. Uh, we've got a Facebook and an Instagram.
0: Okay. Ah, Wonderful. And so if people want to know more about, obviously, uh, probiotics, they can go to newrootsherbal.com and they have all of their probiotics listed there. And I can tell you that their enteric coating is natural. I know that for sure. (laughs) So go check it out. Darcy, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. Happens when a gynecologist decides to become a singer songwriter. No, this is not a joke. When Dr. Christina Dervedis took a step back from her duties in the delivery room, she didn't realize that an album was about to be born. With all of the raw emotion that accompanies a midlife in transition, Christina's debut album tells a story of a self discovery that is better late than never. With lyrics that grab hold of the terrifying, exhilarating energy that comes with exploring new possibilities, Christina has experienced firsthand the therapeutic power of music. Her debut album, Overdue, has been released, and she joins me now to discuss. Welcome to the
7: show, Christina. Thank you so much for having me.
0: This is such a delightful story. Uh, and Brody, our entertainment person sent it to me. Uh, she sent me a picture of it from her phone and I just loved it. That's where we reached out to you. So I guess my first question is, are you giving up your day job?
7: Peg, <laughs> don't quit your day job. No, I still am in love with my, um, day job and my first passion which is um, gynecology. Currently I'm practicing in Newmarket, Ontario and I have a practice that's focused around contraception and um, intrauterine device uh, insertion. I even have a YouTube channel all about it so I'm very passionate about um, my day job but I'm also uh, developing this new passion for this creative side uh, that I've had the opportunity to explore in the last couple of years. So.
0: So have you always had that creative side throughout your whole life or was this something that came up later?
7: This has been a little bit of a sneak attack on my life. I would say I always have been passionate about music. I started playing piano at age five, but very much in the traditional sense of Royal Conservatory exams um, and you know studying and passing the exams and not really creating music myself. Music then was on hold for a good couple of decades as I studied and went to university and medical school and residency and started my career. Um, And it wasn't until probably about 10 years ago that I decided it was high time that I should have a piano in my home again, um, having invested all that time in my early years. Um, And I also took up guitar in the last 10 years. So um, I rediscovered my passion for music. My husband also is a musician. Um, He's a retired OBGYN and a drummer and he drums on the album so we both share a passion for music but it was only in recent years that we really started creating it ourselves i actually only started writing songs about three years ago and had never really considered myself a singer i was one of the sort of classic crank up the tunes in the in the car and sing when no one's listening kind of thing. Um, But it was only in the last few years that I really discovered my voice.
0: What led you to want to release an album? I mean, this has gone far beyond a hobby or something you just do in the evenings. At this point, you've you've now released an album.
7: So a pivotal moment for me um, was definitely um, an opportunity that presented itself during the pandemic. I had started releasing—not releasing, but um, putting out there—some music on an Instagram feed that I created um, to showcase some of my original songs. And one of my music idols, who I had listened to her music um, on repeat for years, um, her name's M. Greiner, and she's um, she's a full-fledged rock star. She's Uh, sung in David Bowie's band. She just recently released a book about um, the healing power of singing. She actually stumbled upon my Instagram account and through that interaction I realized that she was offering vocal lessons. I jumped at the opportunity to work with an idol and it was in working with M that she started to listen to some of my songs and Uh, nudged me, if you will, towards the idea of pursuing this in a more formal sense. So it's funny, people keep saying to me, this is so great that you're pursuing this dream. And it was really buried deep down inside me. And it was only um, in working with M and in having some of the space that the pandemic afforded um, that I actually managed to start to explore this in a more serious way.
0: Now, I'm going to ask maybe possibly an offensive question. How old are you?
7: Oh, it's not offensive at all. I'm owning it, baby. Um, I'm 46 years old, um, and not coincidentally, the album was released on my 46th birthday. What better? <laughs> I can't. This was all just a ruse for me to throw myself an epic birthday party um, to do the album release concert. But yeah, so the, the the story of this album, and of course I couldn't resist an obstetrical reference with the title being overdue, um, but the story of this album is um, that it's never too late and better late than never. And I think during the pandemic, we've all had those moments to stop and reflect and realize that life is precious you only live once, and all of those—I I hate to call them clichés because I don't think they're really clichés. Um, in a, a cliché has a derogatory sense. I think they're just like wise words that we should adhere to, which is to live our best life. And you know, um, I really just had the sense of what do I have to lose, and decided to go for it. So,
0: so somebody's listening to this right now. I know they are, and in their head, they're thinking, "I could do that." So what are some words of encouragement you would give to somebody? Cause you must've had a couple of moments where you questioned yourself and thought, what am I doing?
7: So many moments, like constant imposter syndrome and constantly this, this voice in my head thinking like, who do you think you are? Like, you've got this great job already. Like, why are you chasing this? But um but i i think the advice that i would say um to anyone out there that this is sparking something um if there's that little voice in the back of your head don't ignore it and realize that you know your life doesn't have to be to fit in um the confines of an of a narrowly defined or um traditional if you will um definition that we um we are are humans in a larger sense in that we have so many different aspects of our lives that we can explore. And I think it's unfortunate to narrow ourselves into, uh, or pigeonhole ourselves into one definition. And certainly I think I was guilty of that um, for so many years as a physician. Um, there's a certain you know um, set of expectations around that. And I never really even dreamed of exploring this more creative side um, to my life. So I'd say, don't pigeonhole yourself. Don't ignore the the little voices that are nagging in the back of your mind telling you um, to pursue something. And in my particular case, I'd say, um, surround yourself by supportive individuals. Again, really um, working with a coach um, helped me a lot in this endeavor and gave me that little extra nudge of encouragement and confidence to move forward. So.
0: All right. Well, Christina, you are an absolute delight and you're an inspiration for us all right now. So thank you so much for joining me. We opened and we're closing the show today with one of your songs, but I want people to be able to find the whole album, obviously, and find you. So where can they do that?
7: So the album is streaming everywhere on all streaming platforms, Spotify, um, Apple Music, iTunes, all the things. Um, If you're having difficulty um, finding it, you can also uh, head to my website, christinadurbatas.com, and all of the links will be there.
0: All right. Wonderful. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks so much for having me.
2: Stick around. More What She Said with Candace Sampson coming up on 105.9 The Region.
0: Ever wonder if your probiotics are really working for you? To get their full benefits, you need to ensure they are not destroyed by harsh stomach acid. Clinical studies prove that enteric coating guarantees safe intestinal delivery of live, active probiotic cells. New Roots Herbal offers a range of GPS enteric-coated probiotics formulated to meet your specific needs. Available exclusively at fine health food stores, find them in the refrigerated section. To ensure these products are right for you, always read and follow
3: the link.
2: Welcome back to What She Said with Candace. The Samson on one oh five nine, the region.
3: Inside these
5: walls, I see my life come
0: Do you have a novel inside you just waiting to come to life, but you're not sure where to start? Stick around for this next interview because there is a new platform that aims to serve the intermediate and amateur writing community called Storybuilder. Tanya Goff is the founder of Storybuilder, a creative writing platform for new and aspiring writers. In her imaginary free time, Tanya writes middle-grade fantasy fiction and science-infused fantasy short stories for adults and joins me now to share how you, too, can move from reader to author. Welcome to the show, Tanya.
8: Thank you for having me. It's wonderful to be here.
0: This is a very cool concept, and I don't know if it's just because everybody I know seems to be telling
8: me they want to write a book. Um, yeah, I think that's actually true. When I go to uh, meetups or I'm talking to people about what I do, I would say every almost everybody I speak to, either they themselves want to write a book or someone in their family or a friend, uh, and it's an immediate conversation starter for almost everyone that I know.
0: And it's such a daunting process to think about you know, uh, where do I even begin? And, you know, uh, especially if this is not something that you typically do. So how does Story Builder help uh, amateur writers then start this process and work through to the point of potentially being published?
8: Uh, So uh, there are a lot of writing tools that are already on the market. And uh, part of the problem for me was that uh, they all assume that you already know how to write. So they're organizational tools. They uh, will help you keep track of things, but none of them really help to support the writing process. So I wanted to solve for that. Um, and I've done this in a couple of ways. First of all, there's an underlying education layer that's built into the platform. So when you come into the platform, we give you some an outline that you can choose, or there's a selection of outlines you can use as a baseline. And there's education attached to all of that, which will help you with through prompts uh, understand what what happens in, in each step. Uh, and then as your story starts to evolve and you start to explore, there are a bunch of tools and uh, features that will help you to make decisions about what kind of language to use to describe your characters. And there's also a, a, a library full of characters and maps and outlines from classic literature that you can borrow and do violence to. We encourage you to do that. So uh, borrow Hamlet, turn it in, turn Hamlet into a penguin, throw him into a room with Dracula who, you know, It may be a different gender or however else you might decide that you want to uh, imagine them. Um, You can mix and match uh, stories. You can have um, different uh, landscapes. And all of those provide you with additional uh, support and uh, starting places that will let you explore and sort of play around with your story and find new ideas.
0: What about feedback? You know, do you provide that? To people do you help them to understand that perhaps they may want to go
8: in a different direction or that's good or work on this a bit uh, so a lot of that is going to be self-reported and it's hard baked into the system so as you're building your system you're making decisions about uh what you're intending to do at, at any given point and you can make um and you can make selections that Uh, If you're in a particular part of your story, if uh, you think it's rising action, if you think it's falling action, if you think that you're uh, doing exposition and the starting part of your story. And as you make those choices, uh, we'll actually show you how that relates to the outline that you chose at the beginning of your project. And if you deviate considerably, then those are some decisions that you might want to make. We always believe that uh, your decisions should be your decisions. And if you want to deviate from the norms, that's entirely up to you. If a storyline is supposed to look like a triangle and yours goes going straight up and down and that's the way you want it, well, then that's your choice. Uh, but we've created uh, charts and maps and um, and reporting structures that will help you understand where where your story might be a little bit different from what might be expected at any given time. And that can help you decide if you want to make make changes. I imagine the biggest hurdle for
0: any potential uh, author is the part where you get to publishing. So mm-hmm. is there some guidance and some assistance when the book is finished?
8: Uh, no, there, there are actually a lot of platforms out already that will help writers who have finished product to get into market, whether you want to decide to self-publish. Or, uh, or go the more traditional route, uh, we, we do include um, information on our blog for, for new writers to help them understand what the process is. And we're putting in new material there all the time. Uh, but uh, the one thing that I didn't feel existed and the one thing that I thought that we could do particularly well was help writers sort of figure out how to get from idea to a finished product. Um, and what happens after that will be up to them. And by then, theoretically, they should have a lot more confidence in their work.
0: All right. Well, I want people to to be able to find you and find out more. So uh, can you please share the website, social channels, and you have an invitation as
8: well, right? I do. Um, Our website is storybuilder.com. Now storybuilder is spelled uh, story, like regular story, but B-I-L-D-E-R, there's no U. So we like to say all we're missing is you. Uh, and so if you go to uh, storybuilder.com and uh, sign up for our newsletter, that will unlock a, uh, uh, a secret code. So that, that will allow you to come into the website now for free. And, um, and you can use, it to use the site for at least six months um, uh, and poke around and see what, and see if it's for you.
0: All right. Excellent. Well, anybody listening who has a great story to share, uh, they definitely want to go check out storybuilder.com. Thank you so much for
8: joining me today, Tanya. Uh, thank you so much for having me.
0: That's it for What She Said for this week. Stay up to date with our newsletter by signing up at whatshesaidtalk.com. And be sure to follow on social at What She Said Talk on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for videos of these interviews and more. Finally, be sure to subscribe to What She Said with Candace Sampson on Apple and Spotify to re-listen to this episode and find full details for all of today's guests. I'll be back next week with more What She Said on 105.9 The Region. Hey.